Hello, and welcome to Campus 2 Community. Campus 2 Community is a podcast in which I, Niav Timmons, your host, interview graduate students and junior faculty about their research and public work for a general audience. If you would like to be on a future episode of Campus 2 Community or have suggestions, please reach out to me at campus2community at gmail.com. Two is spelled T-O. You can also find us on Twitter at Campus2Community. In this first episode, I interview Kai Minosh Pyle about their work with Two-Spirit Studies. The music for this podcast is provided by Iz. You can find information about her music in the links provided with this episode. Kai Minosh Pyle is a two-spirit, Mati, and Bawating Anishinaabe writer, researcher, and language revitalization advocate. Originally from Green Bay, Wisconsin, they currently hold a one-year position at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign in the American Indian Studies Department. They have taught the Michif and Anishinaabe Moan languages in community settings, researched and shared stories of gender diversity in indigenous history, and are currently at work on a novel about two indigenous trans teens in love. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, Had a bit of a wild week, but I'm all right. I feel that. I just got my COVID vaccine. I feel like I got checked by a hockey player. Oh my Uh, gosh. Yeah, it uh, it hurt quite a bit. Um, well, I'm really excited to chat with you and about your work. Um, I know this is the first episode, um, and I'm really excited to do it with um, a scholar like you. Um, your work's really cool and exciting. Um, so maybe I just want to just jump in the pool really quickly. And um, so a lot of people will not familiar with your work. So could you just like um talk a little bit about what like what your dissertation process is or not your process what your dissertation is about um and kind of like what brought you to that work sure definitely so my dissertation is all about um two-spirit and lgbtq native uh native american history specifically looking at my own nation, which is the Anishinaabe people. Um, And I use the term Anishinaabe in a broad sense. So there's like a lot of different subgroups that fall under that. Um, Not necessarily just my like tribally or uh, federally recognized tribe. But um, the question that I kind of am trying to answer with my dissertation is, uh, the question of how is it that despite like 
hundreds of years of colonization by European, Canadian, and American forces. Um, how is it that Two-Spirit and LGBTQ Native people have still managed to hold on to memories of our history of of what I'm calling um, folks like us, which is like other people who might be labeled as LGBTQ. Um, and um, so I look at it from a couple of lenses, like um, I have like historical evidence that I look at, of course, but also uh, words in our language that refer to gender and sexual diversity. Um, also some literature that um, it has been written by uh, Two-Spirit Anishinaabe people. And then also the final portion is um, kind of a description of the process that I've gone through in creating a zine with other Two-Spirit Anishinaabe artists. Um, that's kind of like putting into practice our own memory making process. And the way that I came to this, I, it's kind of, I mean, I am myself Two-Spirit um, and Anishinaabe, so that's like the obvious answer. But um, I, when I started graduate school, I didn't think this was going to be my dissertation topic. I was going to do something much more um, specifically focused on language and focused on my other heritage language, which is Machif. Um, and I found that every paper I ended up writing in graduate school was about Two-Spirit history, Two-Spirit theory, um, Two-Spirit artists. Like It was just like kept coming back and back and back. And then I finally was like, this is clearly a sign that this is what I want to write about. Um, so that's kind of how I came to the project in general. Yeah, it sounds like really like the project came to you literally. Yeah, definitely. Um, so when you talk about um, memory um, and the type of work that you're using, so um, what kind, what do you mean by the type of like memory? Are you, is it specifically in terms of like literature um, and for people who are unfamiliar, like a kind of archive that means like, literary and historical um what kind and also what kind of stuff is in that archive yeah so i think i'm using the memory in a almost a broader sense than that like definitely that's part of it so like in the section of my dissertation that looks at literature by two-spirit anishinaabe um i look at like how they are writing about um, specifically the, their like grandmothers and grandmother figures in um, their writing because it turns out that in Two-Spirit Anishinaabe writing, that's something that comes up again and again, this image of the grandmother, whether as like sometimes as a figure of um, acceptance and, and knowledge that other people don't have, but also sometimes as um, someone who's been deeply impacted by colonization um, as like a gatekeeper of knowledge. So anyway, so I, it's that's it, that's one of the ways that I'm looking at memory is how writers talk about it. But also, I think a good example um, of the other kind of memories that I'm talking about is in the chapter on um, language and words in the language for 
gender and sexual diversity. So um, one of the arguments that I make is I, I sort of have found this word, ayeque is the word, um, and I first heard it uh, at a language camp that I was taking part in when an elder um, was talking about words for two-spirit people in Ojibwe, um, Anishinaabe Mwen, and she mentioned this word. And so um, I later found the word in a dictionary um, from the 1830s. Wow. And then I found it in um, in missionary translations of uh, the passage of the Bible that mentions eunuchs. Um, and I found it in a couple of other places too. So what I am uh, kind of saying with this is that the fact that Anishinaabe people have remembered this word that refers to usually, um, uh, I guess I would translate it roughly as like a trans woman is like kind of the the meaning behind the word um, to be like, I know that it's controversial to like assign um, like contemporary meanings to historical words and stuff, but that's essentially what it means. Um, and so the fact that this word has continued for 200 years to me is a sign that speakers of the language recognize that there's this kind of relationship between present and past two-spirit people. So even if, even if um, two-spirit people don't look exactly the same as we did 200 years ago, the roles have changed often. Um, the social sort of experiences are often different. Um, even despite those changes, there's still this memory that has been held on to in the language uh, that connects us. So that's kind of the other sort of memory that I am talking about in my dissertation. And I have a like fancy name that I've coined for it, which is transtemporal kinship. But um, that's that's my little sort of like uh, conceit that I gave myself to call it that. But um, that's what I'm really talking about with memory. Yeah, I remember reading about um, transtemporal kinship in uh, one of your articles, and we don't have to talk about that article a bunch because I know you have elsewhere. Um, but I find your idea of like memory to be like really beautiful. Um, something I think about actually um, in my work. Um, but I think what was I? Can you say a little bit more about the? Uh, the, the the literature you were Anishinaabe uh, literature you were mentioning about stories from grandmothers because I find that really fascinating. Yeah, definitely. So I am uh, looking at um, books and, and literature by four writers specifically. Um, Carol Lefevre is the um, the earliest of the writers. Um, she passed away um, in, I think, 2011, but um, she wrote several detective novels in the 1990s um, that featured Ojibwe, Anishinaabe lesbian, uh, an Anishinaabe lesbian woman as the main character. And so that's one book. And in that book, of course, um, the main character's grandmother is a very important figure who is like, there's a beautiful scene early in the book where um, the main character remembers coming out to her grandmother 
and how her grandmother was just like, I've been waiting for you to share this with me. Um, you were given this gift by the creator um, and it's part of your, your spirit name. Um, so thank you for sharing this with me. Um, and it's like a very tear worthy uh, scene. But so that's one example. Um, another is Manish Shikabi's memoir called, um, it's called A Two-Spirit Journey. Um, and I have uh, had the privilege of actually meeting Mini and talking to her um, at the language, that language camp that I mentioned. Um, and so for her also, uh, obviously in a non-fictional sense, her grandmother was a really important figure in her life when many of the other adults around her were, um, were not very supportive. Her grandmother, who was born in the 1860s, uh, taught her a lot of traditional knowledge, including knowledge about two-spirit people. And she talks about that in her memoir. Um, and then the other two are two younger writers, um, Jay Simpson and Yaz M. Morgan. Um, Jay Simpson, uh, I look at a poem and a short story that they wrote um, talking about their more like sort of tumultuous relationship with their grandmother. And... Um, same thing with Yaz M. Morgan. They have much more uh, sort of ambivalent relationships with grandmothers in their work, um, possibly because they're of a younger generation than uh, than Manisha Kabi and Carol LeFevre, who were both born in like uh, the late 40s, early 50s. And so their grandmothers were much older and had not necessarily attended like residential schools and boarding schools. Um, whereas by the generation of Yaza Morgan and Jay Simpson, those forms of colonization had really impacted uh, the transmission of knowledge a lot more strongly. And so I think that's one of the examples of like some of the differences, but also like in all of these in all of these folks writing, no matter how they feel about grandmothers and they still recognize that this is like a very important figure for Two-Spirit Anishinaabe. Yeah, thanks for sharing. This is really exciting work that you're doing. Um, and uh, I think it's really interesting that you find um, language and Two-Spirit language across like these times, specifically with um, residential and boarding schools. Um, that's really exciting and cool that you can still find these like the you were mentioning um at language camp find you know learning this ter the term and then hearing about it or like finding it in like the historical archive yeah that was a pretty amazing experience i have to say yeah it's really exciting um well language camp is a good like segue so i was wondering like do you want to talk more about um, language, indigenous language, um, what it means for you and in general? Sure. Um, so, I mean, I have been involved with language revitalization, um, as we call it, is, since I was about 14 years old. Um, my grandmother uh, was... Uh, a foster, a foster care child and grew up really without um, 
pretty much any knowledge of her ancestral languages and so um I didn't even know that was really part of our heritage um, that we spoke another language for a very long time um, and then once I was a teenager I got really into it um, and so I I have uh, since then been trying to learn my languages and I think that they're just incredibly important for so many reasons um, and uh, they're they both are important to me like on a community level as well as in my academic work because I think that indigenous languages um, have so much to offer in terms of like understanding our um, ways of viewing the world for example mm-hmm yeah uh, it's something I've been thinking of a little a lot about um, and what does it mean for like white trans people um, who have like forgotten their ancestral languages and like just assume that gender identity has always been this way um, and don't really question like the colonial binary. I mean, they question it, um, non-binary people, but like um, they don't really, a lot of them don't really imagine it was like, what was like it before? Um, so it's something, yeah, it's interesting. Um, Anyway, I digress. Um, what do you think is your relationship for doing community work and what does it mean for your academic work and vice versa? Yeah, that's a great question. I I feel like, so the first part, that, the first thing that comes to mind is that I think I would be, I know that I would be doing community work no matter whether I was in academia or not. So it's like an important part of my life independent of um, the academic work that I do but the but because I am also a, a scholar in academia or whatever um, I'm naturally a nerdy research loving person too so um, I really see it as like kind of important to integrate those parts of um my own experience i guess um for my for like the research that i do for example um for my dissertation it's interesting i think this might be a relevant story which is that like i originally was going to do interviews for the last part of my dissertation where i was going to interview some elders and young people um and have them talk about like their experiences as two-spirit anishinaabe people and I became like increasingly uncomfortable when I was trying to figure out how I would do that because I really like was asking this question of what benefit is this going to have to them as the participants and, and people who would be sharing their stories um, if it's just going to be these interviews that I am going to pick, pluck like, you know, the choice quotes and put in a dissertation that not necessarily anyone besides my committee is going to read um and i am not definitely not saying that i don't think interviews should ever be done i just personally was like struggling with it in the context that i um was doing and so that's how i ended up coming to the idea of creating a zine um of art which allowed me to do a lot more 
like reciprocal work with my community of two spirit artists um because i already had a lot of pre-existing relationships with other two spirit artists um and so that was one way that i was incorporating that community work with um with my research but also like i also think just another thing to mention is there's also sometimes when I do think an important part of doing community work and being a scholar in academia is recognizing when it's not necessarily time to integrate those two. So one of the reasons I, I although I was very much drawn to this project about two-spirit people, um, one of the reasons I, en I ended up deciding not to do my other project about Michif language was because I realized that I didn't want to bring that into academia. Um, I wanted my work with the language to be entirely rooted in community and that I didn't necessarily want to have to apply academic processes to what I was doing. Um, I wanted more flexibility with it. So I think recognizing those moments is also very important. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Um, yeah, I think that's really important. Um, do you want to talk more about your zine project? I'm really nerdy about zines. Um, and uh, like, do you have a history of making zines? And just what's the zine? And what kind of artist are you working with? Because just shout out their amazing work too. Yeah, I would love to. Um, I, I'm not... I'm definitely not like an accomplished zinester. I um, have I don't think there's such a bit. thing. Well, that's true. That's a good point. But um, I I have like I've um, let's see. So I made a a zine that initially actually, and I've been sharing it with people kind of on an individual level, which is a a little zine about all the words I've found in Anishinaabe, Moen, Cree, and Machif for um gender diverse people um and so that's like that was like my first kind of foray into zines myself it's like a very low-key um thing that's just like i made it uh in microsoft publisher in just like a you know classy typewriter font and a couple of clip art images basically <laughs> but um uh i also have been involved with um zines like that other people have been making like um this collective that i'm a part of which is called the mamui project which is a group of young michif people um who are sort of trying to find other ways of uh supporting young people in our nation beyond the established sort of michif government system which has a lot of issues um, we made a zine um, talking about the concept of visiting, which is very important in Machif culture. Um, and so I was somewhat involved in that process. So that gave me a little experience too. But this zine, um, initially I sort of had a prompt for people, which was like, um, what is your relationship to the history of Two-Spirit people? Why do you think it's important? But it, it kind of became a lot broader and just became like, hey, what, what do you as a Two-Spirit Anishinaabe person want to say? Um, and so I, um, yeah, it's it's got a really awesome mix of people. Um, 
that um a, like the the varieties of different media that like meet different forms of mediums that are included um one of my friends a wanagijic bruce uh they contributed um images and writing about some regalia that they created like a two-spirit regalia um for a gathering um one of the contributors shauna red sky um made a a ceramic vessel which is like i was so blown away when i saw it um it's really beautiful um we have eli forbes who made a comic strip for it um uh cleo kiana warrior made like some blackout poetry and some little doodles and like just like this really cool mix of mediums um and uh then there's like a couple of folks who are also contributing writing um just like straight up writing um and i'm really excited about that as well so um there's about i think nine or ten people total uh who are going to be featured in the zine um, and i'm trying right now to get the final stuff from everyone so that i can get put together and uh published into the world soon yay that's exciting i know making a zine anthology can be like herding cats um <laughs> yeah um so again thank you for sharing um i just know on uh so we follow each other on twitter um and i know mm -hmm. on twitter you talk a lot about like the possibility of matisse studies as well as um black and native relations um and also like um what centering uh trans and uh indigenous narratives in the midwest did you want to talk about any of that yeah those are a lot of a lot of uh topics um sorry i was just rambling no, and that's what i thought of no worries um i'm just trying to think of what i want to what i would want to say um yeah i guess i'll pick the last of those because uh it's something that i've was kind of ranting about on Twitter the other day, um, which is like my frustration with trans studies as, um, especially in its like most academic of forms and my attempts to imagine something else. So um, trans studies for like, um, in a nutshell, I think, is really rooted in some very important topics it definitely comes out of people's like experiences as trans people and that's really important but um it's it has been ex an extremely white process of like um a white space of thought um and i became really frustrated recently because we're at a point i think in like the development of the field or whatever that um people are starting to narrative narrativi narr narrate i'm just gonna stick with that they're starting to narrate like the origins of the field and like canonize it sort of and i was frustrated because it is a really like a narrative of like particularly white people writing and speaking back to um transphobic um sources which is again like an important 
and it's certainly an important duty that trans studies has contributed. But I wanted to think about what what would like an indigenous alternative to the origins of trans studies be? And what I kind of came up with was like a number of, and I was specifically looking at the 90s, which I'll say, because that was when really trans studies as a field has been like described as like kind of kicking off was based on some essays written in the late 80s and early 90s which coincidentally was also the the time period when um the term two-spirit was coined uh or it was received um by myra laramie in a dream um in 1990 and it was shared then and um so the the 90s was like a time of like a lot of two-spirit activism as well um, and so I was like, well, so what what would it look like to narrate trans studies from that perspective? And I learned that actually there were like a number of trans indigenous artists who were making films at that time. Um, so that was really cool. But I also, I think, learned a very valuable lesson, which is that um, I guess just like it doesn't have to all be academia. Like it's I learned that you know like not I was frustrated because these things weren't really taken up in academia and um so I couldn't kind of create the same kind of narrative that I wanted um but yeah I don't think it has to be academia and I'm more interested in like thinking about how to do things with trans studies and indigenous studies like in the broader world yeah, that's really interesting and important. Um, something I'm thinking about, too. Um, so I think building off that non-academia, I know you do a lot of poetry work, and a lot of this is not written in English and in indigenous languages. You want to talk about that? Sure. So, yeah, I have been, I mean, I've been writing poetry and also like a little bit of other genres I wrote a short story that was published in the book love after the end and then like I also have written a little bit of um creative nonfiction. but um so I've written that stuff for a very long time and then just like a, about five years ago started publishing some of it but um I want to uh shout out to my friend Nathaniel Harrington who uh, writes um, most of his work in Scottish Gaelic and um, I, he has pushed me so much to actually write in my languages and to like question the sort of English supremacy of the publishing sphere and so we did this like month-long thing where we each wrote a poem in our respective language um, every day and then send it to each other even though I can't read his and he can't really read mine um, but it was just like a accountability thing you know and so uh, at the end of that I had 30 poems in Anishinaabe Moen and um, I eventually kept working on poems in the language because it actually was really fun and it, it felt very different. My style of writing is really different in Anishinaabe Moin versus in English. Um, and so I ended up having enough poems that at um, a certain point, I think last January it was, um, both of us uh, self-published a chapbook of poems, his in, or no, his was, was his, 
his was short stories, but I published a chapbook of poems uh, called Anuigo, which means um, even though, essentially, or like anyways, in Anishinaabe Moin. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's a little bit about my poetry. Um, it's like a lot of stuff about... I think one of the things that I enjoy is talking, trying to find ways to, to express being trans and like talking about transness in Anishinaabe Moin because it really is not what people expect when they're like, I'm going to read a poem in an indigenous language. I have a poem that got published recently bilingually um, that's called T for T, you know, and it's talking about like my experience of like uh, sort of imagining a relationship with another trans person, but it's written in Anishinaabe Moin. Um, and just like, yeah, so I really enjoy pushing some of those boundaries. Yeah, and that I think that goes back to what you were talking about earlier that a lot of your community work um, and our academic work mirrors your community work. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess back to Twitter. Um, uh, I know we talked a little bit before. Um, did you want to talk about um, Black Native relations? I know it's really interesting uh, um, in the Midwest area, especially. Yeah, so I have kind of an uh, a project that I have worked on a little bit um, and that I really want to continue in the future. Um, and it's it started when I had the opportunity to take um, what was technically an academic course with uh, the amazing writer and community worker, Alexis Pauline Gums. Love uh, her. And, uh, yeah, her work is so good. And um, so I was excited, really excited to take this class. It was not at all what you would expect out of a typical academic class. Um, we like did meditation and music and we like listened to music every class period. Um, we did some really, really amazing, like uh, I don't even want to call it like critique or like workshopping, I guess, of our writing. But like it, it was it was like you know look at your writing and find all the nouns and then find all the verbs and then like close your eyes and pick one and write something about it was like some really wild stuff that made me think about writing in ways I had never thought about before but um that class was like uh um it, I ended up writing a piece about um black and native histories in the Great Lakes region um and like the relationship black and native people have to water and how um how those things shape each other the kind of like really complicated histories that exist there and like even within my own family history um and then and so yeah i think that there's like a lot um in midwestern history and present day relations um that could like be a really fruitful place for more conversations about black and native relationality um you know you know i live in minneapolis or i did live in minneapolis prior to the pandemic um 
And that's like a space where, um, you know, the American Indian movement with all of its, you know, potential complexities was created uh, as a um, attempt to mitigate police violence against native people in the 60s and 70s. Um, and um, of course now it's Minneapolis as the site of like the uprising in the wake of um, the killing of George Floyd. Um, and there's been a lot of uh, conversation and um, action uh, among black and native communities in that space as well around um, solidarities and as well as like complicities and and violence um, within our communities which has been um, really important and so yeah it's just like I think that that work um, there's some really cool work coming out you know in academia and really like pressing questions that come up through academia around black and native relations um, a new book by Elena Roberts just came out that I'm reading right now about like um, uh, what are called Indian freed people in the um, place that became Oklahoma. Um, and like those stories are really important and complex, but like I am also super interested in what can come out of community work and creative writing work, um, thinking about all kinds of different regions in North America. Yeah. I, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I'm based in the Pacific Northwest and um, the conversation is definitely not like that um, here. Um, and we can nerd about that some other time if you want, um, but it's very weird in the Northwest. Mm. Yeah, um, especially Oregon, which is like was founded and nobody talks about was founded basically as, no, it was totally founded as a, white supremacist utopia yeah i've heard a little bit about that it sounds like a very strange but not surprising um american phenomenon <laughs> well like a pre-civil war phenomenon yeah um, right yeah and then like people think that seattle and portland are so common but you know i'm from seattle and it's like very different in terms of like ways race exists and like especially like indigeneity as well yeah um anyway back to your work um is there anything you wanted anything else you wanted to talk about i know we've talked about some amazing stuff and your work is so important and exciting um is there anything else you wanted to share or talk about that you can mm. think of I know we've talked about a lot. Yeah, I don't know. I think we've hit most of like the major things I'm involved with. Um, I guess I'm excited. I, I can just share. I'm excited. I'm going to be starting to teach a Michif course um, in May uh, through a community organization called Indigenous Languages of Manitoba. Um, and I'm really excited about that. Yay, um, that's so exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it's yeah, it's going to be a community course that um, has no like registration fee or anything for the students. Um, and we're going to be um, sort of test driving a methodology that I've learned called uh, Where Your Keys, which I um, learned through an internship I did with them a couple years ago. Uh, 
it's going to be all online, which will be an interesting experience. But um, so that's like a, one way that I'm like really kind of commun uh, keeping up with like those community um, community based um, efforts and things like that. Yeah. And I guess I just want to like say too, like, I think that the Midwest and like the land of Anishinaabe Waki um, is really central to everything that I do. The Great Lakes mm -hmm. are central to everything that I do. Um, I'm very Midwestern at heart because that's where I'm from. I've lived here my whole life. Um, I may be in, engaged in adventures in other regions soon, but um, yeah, those are just a few like things about me, I guess. I think, yeah, I think your thing about the Midwest is really interesting um, because I think when people think about the Midwest, they don't think about indigenous people. Yes, definitely. Even though yeah. all the words, place names are all indigenous and you like, you can't, like, like it makes sense to somebody who's familiar, but I feel like the still the dominant narrative is still like, you know, like, oh, like the Midwestern are accent and like midwestern like comfort food cuisine yeah yeah i have like midwestern studies is like a whole topic of its own that i kind of follow like as a as a hobby of mine um it's not something i'm super invested in like academically but i follow it and it's really it's really frustrating because they the a lot of the current advocates for midwestern studies as a thing are just incredibly not engaged with indigenous people on like a significant level and i think that that's like i think black and indigenous histories in the midwest are the most interesting parts of the midwest um there was like an amazing uh there was an amazing conference symposium sort of thing that happened uh I think the year before the pandemic hit, so like 2019 maybe, um, that was called Black in the Midwest and a, a an anthology came out of that and is now available that some of my friends were involved in um, uh, organizing because it was based in Minneapolis. And um, that's what I meant to say was based in Minneapolis. And um, so I think like they're doing amazing work. Their website is super great. They have like a list of like all the books that have ever been published on black history in the Midwest, which is super awesome. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so I'm just really always about like tying those histories together and um, and challenging the idea that the Midwest is like not indigenous anymore, that it's like a white cornfield made large i guess and uh yeah doing that kind of work yeah that's so weird that people think you know that the midwest is so white and like you know like chicago and detroit have and as you point out like minneapolis with aim are like some of the historical hotbeds of activism in the 60s and 70s and i mean to give out like the work of grace lee boggs to this you know Mm -hmm. continued for on and on and i just like yeah. the ways that that gets disappeared in mainstream narratives because it's like oh yeah they were centered in chicago but that doesn't mean they're the midwest you know right there's an idea too that like the big cities of the midwest aren't really the midwest 
in the same way that like a small town that of course is naturally all white people and never you know of course there's no like queer and trans people there either in their vision of this small town midwest but yeah yeah and um i just think that's what's part of really important about some of the work you're doing especially in your poetry is like decentering that whiteness and englishness of the midwest um so yeah um well thank you so much for chatting with me um i've learned a lot and i really appreciate chatting and learning about your work um is there any good places for people to learn about your both your creative community and our academic work? Yeah, um, I have a website, which is makeadebenesique.com. Uh, I'm sure you can probably, wherever this podcast goes, put maybe perhaps put that, uh, spell it. It's M-E-K-A, okay, hang on, let me think. Make a day, basically. M E K A D E B I N E S I K W E. That's a very long name. That's my Ojibwe name. Um, <laughs> I should probably get an easier to spell URL, but that is where you can find um the details about my writing for the most part, um, both academic and creative. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about your work. Um, and I recommend that everybody gives Kai's work. It's Kai, right? Yeah. Uh, Kai's work and look at it. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you.